listening to First Church Charlotte. When we go through loss, it's appropriate that we have some hope in our soul through Jesus Christ. Because if we only had this world in which to hope, we would be of all men and women most miserable. And so, uh, stand with me. I'm going to read one passage. Uh, Before I read, let me remind you that our church is trying something new. Um, Coming up June uh, the 9th, I believe it is, uh, uh, that Saturday, um, is uh, our first ever First Church Free Legal Workshop. Uh, This is uh, sponsored and hosted by Nade, who is an attorney in the city. Nade, are you here? She left. She was in the 9 a.m. She is an attorney and she has been very inspired by what we've been doing in various things. And she came to me and she said, you know, is, is this something we might can do to, to, to help our community and begin developing relationships within our community? And my answer is always, if it's in your heart, let's try it. You never know what God's going to bless. And so that's coming up. I want to make you aware of that if you have uh, any needs. There, of course, she can't necessarily solve all your problems. You probably should have thought about that before you hijacked that car. But um, uh, she can tell you you're going to spend a few years in jail. (laughs) That's good to know, right? (laughs) Just kidding. That's coming up. The announcement's right there, yes. So, All right, we are in Ephesians 6, we're at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now the next two words at the beginning of verse 14, I want you to all say them with me aloud. Stand therefore. Smile at your neighbor, point a little finger at him and say, stand therefore. Amen. All right, so I have a little bit of a fun title today that you will understand better by and by. My title is this, Checkmate and the Chess Master checkmate and the chess master. Somebody say in Jesus name. God bless you. You may be seated. All right. So uh, we all of us, we all of us desire in our lives, we all of us desire uh, the ability to make it through all of the troubles and all of the struggles and all of the setback. And we all of us desire uh, the ability to overcome through grace with grace and with the help of God, and we are thankful for that. How many of you remember all the things you've come through and you're thankful in your heart today because of all the many things God has brought you through? Uh, it's Most of you probably wouldn't even be here if the enemy had had his way in your life. You'd be dead. How many of you literally believe that? You literally believe that if the enemy had his, you'd be dead. I, I understand that. Um, there are or there are so many testimonies when you talk to believing people of how, one, if they'd have went right instead of left, they'd be dead. If they'd have went left instead of straight right, they wouldn't be here. And yet God has brought us through and put us in this hour, in this place, in this church, and I'm thankful for that today. I cannot make it on my own. Can I have an amen? And I'm not just talking about my wife. Now, it's true I can't make it without my wife, but I want you to know it's worse than that. I can't make it without God on my side. All you husbands say amen. That's right. It's summer. You're supposed to be sweet to your wife in the summer. It says so in the scripture. Nathaniel 47 and 2. Nathaniel's a long-winded book. It just goes on and on and on and on. And so uh, we are, we are all of us, we want to make it through with joy. Uh, we don't want to just claw our way across the finish line. But I do want to say, if that's the best I can do, honey, I'm going to claw my way across the finish line. Uh, 
Um, I don't believe, however, it's the will of the Lord for us to just barely make it. I want you to think about this because I, I really would like you to begin to believe this in your spirit. Uh, I don't mean just shout with the singers or just jump with the praise band or just you know, uh, say amen to the preacher. I mean, I'd like you to begin to live this way, that it's the will of God for you to have overcoming victory in your life. It's the will of God for you to get to the next level of victory. Now, there's a, 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 a way of living where we kind of mostly have the victory most of the time. And we kind of ping pong our way through the, you know, pinball machine of our life. That's two metaphors in one sentence. And yes, you're confused and I don't even care. You're like a, a ball in a, a pinball machine, you know, and you're over here and then something whacks you. Well, when you get whacked, you go over here and then you bump into some electronic kicker thingy and it kicks you over here. And then somebody hits you with a paddle, whap, and you fly back. And this is your life. And you're always right on the edge of, of, of losing your why? You see, when our, our lives are spiritually unorganized, it's our values that are up for sale. You, you see what I'm saying? Uh, when our lives are not spiritually organized, when we are walking with a, a, a spiritual immaturity. I was planning on preaching this. I yelled nonstop at the 9 a.m. service, and here I am just talking to you guys. Dearly beloved, <laughs> um, I want you to see if our lives are spiritually unorganized, it's always our values that are up for grabs. And we're always being tempted. Maybe I just ought to give up on this church thing. No, no, no. You ought not maybe ought to give up on this church thing. Maybe you ought to get yourself organized spiritually and understand I can't even walk without holding his hand. I was not made to make it on my own. I was not made to stand in my own strength. Woe to the person who falls when they're alone and there's no one there to help them get back up. God intends for you to get beyond just barely making it. God wants you to rise above just this kind of sense of crisis after crisis after crisis. God wants you to be more than a conqueror. And he has placed in the church everything you need for you to be able to fight this good fight for his kingdom. I, I, the passage we read, uh, I, stopped, I stopped reading at verse 14, but I, I want you to know the context of this passage because what he is going to talk about is the armor of God that is given to you. God doesn't need armor. Uh, God doesn't need a helmet of salvation. Honey, God's so saved. God does not need a breastplate of righteousness. God is not protected by righteousness. God is the righteousness that protects. And so the armor is for you. Somebody say me. me. The armor is for you. And God has given it as an investment in the church for you to have the victory. Righteousness is God's gift to you. It's that grace covering in your life. God is truth. He's not seeking the truth. He is the truth. And it's a gift to you. The gospel of peace is God's good news for you. And you are given these tools that you might fight. The scripture does not say that the gates of hell shall not prevail against heaven. The, the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The battle is here. It's the church against the world. God's already won his battle. And he is investing in you and he's investing in me and we put on the tools he has given us and we go out and we fight. This is how we fight our battles. We gird ourselves
yourself with God's truth. We put the helmet of salvation upon our head. We pick up the word. And we go out with this tremendous investment God has made in us. And we fight. We talked about it uh, uh, this past Wednesday night. How do we fight? Well, first of all, we fight spiritually through the gifts of the Spirit. We fight to uh, the lost souls. How do we fight there? So there's two battlefields. One of them is a spiritual. That's gifts of the Spirit. You rebuke devils. You bind powers of the enemy. You pray the blood. You do all of these things. That is a spiritual victory. But after the church has done all of that, somebody still has to go win people. People have choice. You can pray every day of your life and your kids not decide not to serve of God. It happened to our family. My mom and dad were spiritual and I decided not to serve God. That's funny and no one laughed. See, I'm a walking example that your mom and dad can be perfect and you be flawed. Why? Because your children have a choice. You can't bind your children in Jesus' name. God gave them sovereignty. They get to choose. They get to choose. You can't force someone to serve God. How do we fight that battle? We fought the battle of the Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit. We fight the battle of the flesh through the fruit of the Spirit. You can pray all day long, but until you take a pie to your neighbor's house, you ain't going to get to know them. Anyway, I've talked about that last Wednesday night, and I'm still in my spirit, as you can tell. And so that's how we fight. That's God's will. We have to fight. The church oftentimes gets in the bad habit of looking at God and saying, we need a move of God. And God's saying, look, you're the one who needs to move. God will not move when we're the ones who need to move. God will not fight for us when we will not do what he has commanded us to do. He gave you armor. He gave you the ability to make a difference. And he put you in the battle because we were the ones who needed to move. If God wanted to do it all by himself, there would not be this thing called the church. Sometimes it's us that need to move. Like the old story about the guy, uh, and this is a little bit too close to home for me. So anyway, moving along, uh, the guy he's in the church. He's praying, "Oh God, God, we uh, send hungry souls, send hungry souls all day long. God, send hungry souls. Oh God, send hungry souls." And and finally, the Lord says, "Okay, uh, you know, great prayer meeting, but why don't you go try to meet some of these hungry souls?" Oh, I don't do that. That's for other people. I'm spiritual. God, send hungry souls. God, send hungry souls. God. Or the joke about the guy who uh, the floods come. You've heard this joke, and he climbs up on the roof. And, and um, uh, a boat comes by and says, uh, you would like us to save you? He says, no, no, I'm, I'm trusting in the Lord. And uh, they said, okay. They kept on going. Another boat came by and the flood water kept rising. He said, well, can, would you go with us? And, uh, you know, we'll save you. He said, no, no, I'm trusting the Lord. And uh, flood waters kept coming up. And finally, a helicopter came by and it's like a whop, whop, whop. And uh, can we save you? He said, no, I'm trusting in the Lord. Well, then he drowned to death and he gets to the heaven and he says, God, why didn't you save me? I was trusting in you. And I died in the flood. And the Lord's like, my goodness, I sent you two boats in a helicopter. <laughs> it's not always God's the one who needs to move. God's invested in the church. God's invested in you. God's given you armor so you can get in the fight. You can't fight by flesh and blood, but he's put the armor on you so you can get in the fight. Somebody needs to get in the fight. Oh, see, there I go. I started out good, and then I started yelling, and it went downhill from there. 
so, so, so uh, that's, that's the goal, right? Uh, the goal is for us to have the armor of the Lord in our life. The goal is for us to make a difference. And we can't always sit back and say, God, you do it. God's invested in us. It's like burying the talent in the ground and saying, Lord, I know, you know, you were the one to bring it. No, I gave it to you. <laughs> so, and, uh, but there are times, let's, let's be honest, that's the goal. That's how, we, that's how we proceed. That's how we work. But there are times when we've come to the end of our abilities. Now, if you'll notice in the scripture, you will see God does his best work when you are at the end of your answers. It's almost like heaven's not even interested until it's bad. It's like the story in the Old Testament. They show up 30,000 soldiers against 100,000 soldiers. God says, ah, it's too easy. He sends a bunch of them away. There's like 10,000. Ah, too easy. And I send them all away. There's 300 left. All of a sudden, heaven's like, that's what I'm talking about right there. Now I'm interested. God does his best work when we don't have any solution to the problem. And when we really allow him to show forth his power. You see, as long as we have a move, if there's something that we should do, then then really you don't get heaven to do for you what you should be doing. What you do is you've done all you can and now having done all you stand there for. Standing is what you do when you don't have a move to make. How many of you have ever been in a situation you had no move to make? All right, there's a word for that. It's called marriage. But um, we'll just keep moving along, you know. You're just, you're just, you, you've been checkmated. You're like, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Will you go by the grocery store? Yes, dear. Will you mow the lawn? No, I'm not mowing the lawn. You're crazy. Anyway, uh, so stand there for. You've done everything you can do. And now it's time simply to stand. So I want to tell you a story real quick. Uh, this happened back in the 18, uh, 1861, right at the beginning of the uh, American Civil War. There was a, a, a chess champion by the name of Paul uh, Morphy who in, visited the home of some friends of his in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, the friends were Reverend and Mrs. Uh, Howison, and uh, they owned a painting that had been painted by the artist Moritz Reich, and it hung on their wall. And it, it wasn't so much that it was like a highbrow type of high-value painting. It had been painted by uh, this German artist, and, and he would, did a play, a take, on the Faust, the novel by Faust, uh, where an individual sells his soul to the devil for great riches and rewards. And so uh, nowadays, in popular culture, that's called a Faustian bargain. Whenever you hear someone talk about, I made a Faustian bargain, what that means is I sold my soul to the devil. Uh, don't be doing that. That's not to be recommended. So in the idea, uh, uh, this individual has done that. And now uh, Lucifer has come to collect his soul. And the artist depicts them on a, on a chessboard. And they are facing each other across the chessboard. And um, if you look at the pieces on the board, the man is checkmated. And so uh, the artist wasn't really a chess player himself. And he, he had drawn it this way. And uh, then uh, other people had seen it. No one had ever caught this before until this champion, this chess master, came to visit the house and saw the painting for himself. And um, after dinner, he stood there and he, he, he stared at this painting. He was fascinated by it, mesmerized by it. He's looking at it. And uh, because he was a chess champion, he, he looked at it differently. He didn't look at it with the presumptions. You see, chess is a very interesting game where you begin to see patterns in the randomness of the game. But those patterns, 
which at first help you, ultimately blind you. And so when you lose a chess game, even though it is a perfect information game where you understand everything on the board, you still get blinded by the patterns. And then when you lose, it almost always is the result of something you did not see. And so here is the reality of this blinding, this, this patterns. And it happens even to grandmasters. One of the, one of the um, I, I did a search before uh, church this morning on uh, some of the most famous games where even grandmasters made dumb moves that was right in front of them. They, could, they, just, they just were blinded by their patterns and their presumptions, and they made dumb moves. I mean, I'm talking grandmasters in huge championships and end up losing in 12 moves. But because they make one really, really bad move. And so it is that this, all these people had looked at this board and they thought it was done. And this, this one individual stood there and finally he turned to his, his, his hosts who were hosting him. He said, you know, I'm looking at this picture, but I just realized it's not checkmate. The king has one more move. I have a really good announcement to make to all of you here today. I don't care what you're going through. The king has one more move. Just because you or I cannot see an answer does not mean God doesn't have another move to make. I might be blinded by circumstances in my life, but God has another move to make. I get disoriented by all the changes and this and that and that and this, and I don't know where to go and who to turn to, but I want you to know God still has a move to make. You don't check checkmate God. You might checkmate me. You might checkmate mate, your friend, your neighbor, your family, your cousin, but you will not checkmate God. Just about the time you think you have him trapped, he has one more move to make. And so the enemy's trying to lie to you and say it's over. You're stuck in this situation. It's always going to be like it is. You're always going to have pain in your heart. You're never going to get out from under that crushing financial bad decision you made. You're never going to restore the relationship with your loved one. Your your marriage is always going to be like this. You're stuck. You're stuck. There's nothing you can do about it. And I have to say, that might be true. You might be at the end of your rope. You may not have a move left to make. You may have painted yourself into a corner, but the chess master still has a move that he can make, and it's not over until the king has moved last. You see, God is a moving God. You can't tie God down. I know people think they can, but you can't tie God down. You're not going to get God in some type of a full Nelson to make him do what he has to do. No, God is like the wind, and he moves, and he, he, he blows through our lives. And you, But he is moving. You'll always see him in the Scripture uh, moving in a powerful way. In the very beginning, and I mean literally the very beginning, there's nothing but chaos, and there's nothing but, you know, disaster or like I tell my children it's a great judaster I always say because they like that my little girl said it one time so your life can be a great judaster it might be the biggest mess but let me tell you even in the chaos it might be that the spirit of the Lord is moving upon the waters 
nothing but a hot mess as far as the eye can see and yet the spirit of the Lord is moving upon the waters every move of God you see in the scripture is always dynamic it's always unconstrained it's always a sense of mystery and majesty and then we try to come along and try to get it organized but God sometimes is going to do what God's going to do and you just got to let the wind blow and so out of this chaos comes the spirit of God moving and then God begins to work over and over in the scripture when you see God you see him moving the kings the priests the judges it's like judges 13 the spirit of the Lord begin to move him the Bible said in verse 25 in, in, in Psalm 68 and 8 the Bible says even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God or the psalmist wrote in 99 and 1 the Lord reigneth let the people tremble he sitteth between the cherubims let the earth be moved and Isaiah his experience goes like this I was in the Lord's house and when the Lord spoke the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and Isaiah talked about the idols in Egypt and how when God began to work those idols were moved and Jesus is moved with compassion and Matthew and Mark and in Matthew 21 all the city is moved saying who is this and Peter talks about how from the beginning of the moving of God in the earth a prophecy came forth not by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost and so in the book of Acts we read that in him we live and we move and we have our being this is what I want you to know today you may not be able to move you may be fresh out of options uh, but God always has a move to make you can't tie God down you can't trap God uh, he always has a move to make and so the good news is uh, when you don't have a move to make uh, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord if there's something you can do do it do it now do it fast uh, do it right if there's a move you can make do it now do it fast uh, do it right but when you come to the moment where you don't have a move to make don't sit back and say oh that's the end it's not the end God always has the last move oh hallelujah you know it's a natural human response to freeze in the face of specific types of terror. I was reading some, uh, this, this morning, uh, I was reading an article I found on this phenomenon. And uh, they say it actually happens more in children. Uh, as we get older, we get much more uh, quick to take action. But as children, the freeze function is very, very strong in children. And um, if, the, if, if, an, if an individual feels like they cannot win and they cannot flee, then they freeze. And I've seen so many people uh, trying to serve the Lord have circumstances in their life and their only response is to freeze. They just freeze. Uh, they, 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 it might have something to do with uh, 
and it happens to all of us, so I'm not better than anyone here, but that may have something to do with a, a needing to grow in God or maybe having deeper faith or all those things. We can find a million reasons, but whatever the point is, whatever the reason is, you find yourself and you, you, you kind of freeze. And if you haven't a move to make, if you, haven't a, if you, if you have no way to influence it, I, uh, I, I, we, we should take action when we can. Even if we don't have control, if all we have is influence, we should take action. Can I have an amen? Um, God's not going to do what we can do. God's not going to get involved until it's what God can do. You see, like I use this example. I, I, I love, I love sweets. I do. It's a terrible, terrible thing. None of you guys like sugar like I do, and I, I have a problem with sugar. So this past week, I took my family to Cheesecake Factory, and um, it really was a, it, it was, it was a religious experience. That's all I'd say about that. <laughs> So we've eaten there a lot, you know, over the years, but we don't let ourselves go very much because, you know, sin lieth at the door. And I mean, it's literally at the door. You walk in and there's the cheesecake bar right there. It's like sin's at the door. Uh, don't be saying any demons in cheesecake. You be the demon. Okay. And so you're, my belly's the demon. So we walk in, sin lies at the door. And, and I, my, my wife, she's not helping. She announces when she walks in, she says, here, O Israel, not the Lord, our God is one. I'm getting a cheesecake today. And thanks for nothing, you know? And so uh, I could have been strong if she had been strong, but no, if she's going to fall off the wagon, honey, I'm head first. And so, well, me too. And so, well, my son was with us. He was like, score, <laughs> You know, and so um, we're eating and delicious, and I, I, I got a big cheesecake, and my wife got a big cheesecake, and my son got a big cheesecake, and so, uh, yeah, it was beautiful. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> come into my heart, and so uh, we're eating this cheesecake, and I, I eat about two-thirds of mine. My, my wife eats about a third of hers, and my son eats about half of his, and um, it's very, very, very appropriate to the physics of us all, and so... Um, uh, <laughs> I had my two-thirds. I went home. I uh, relaxed a little while, and then I went back upstairs and I ate the rest of mine. You know, I finished that sucker off because, you know, the Bible says whatever you do, do with all your might. And so it really wasn't even my fault. It was God's fault. You know, I was just fulfilling the scripture. I ate the, all that thing. You know, full gospel preacher. And so... Um, <clears throat> I noticed that my wife's and my son's cheesecake were still in the refrigerator, you know. <laughs> You know, so I go up, the next day. I go up there, and um, they, they hadn't eaten either of them. So I calculated in my mind. I calculated, you know, if I eat my wife's and she wants it, that could turn out badly for me. What's my son going to do? You know, what I mean, poor sucker. You know, I learned that from my dad. I was stuck. You know what I mean? What am I going to do? So I got my son's cheesecake, and on the second day, I ate his cheesecake. Yes, Lord. Victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. There is a fountain. So good things are happening. So the next day, I go back to the refrigerator, and my wife's cheesecake's still there. So I said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the heavens opened. And the Lord said, call not unclean what I have cleansed. Take and eat. And so... So, yeah, the third day I ate her cheesecake. And so, let me be honest with you. Diabetes runs in my family. It does. On, my, on, on both sides, diabetes runs in my family. And um, uh, now, now let's, let's be practical. Now, I can run around the church three times and say, God, heal me from diabetes. But if I keep killing it, that cheesecake factory, 
God's not going to do it for me what I could do for myself. Now, I can pop my neck, kick my right foot, say, Maha, but honey, three cheesecakes? That's just not to be, dearly beloved. These things ought not to be, as Paul said. And um, three, holy moly, I blame my wife. She walked in, Sim was at the door. She said, I'm having a cheesecake, her fault. And so um, you get the idea. God is not going to do for you what you can do. But the moment when you come to the end and you have no move to make, all of a sudden God says, all right. It's time to show the difference between what you can do and what I can do. If you can make a difference, honey, get started. Do it smart. Do it right. Do it with a good attitude. Make a difference. Pray the prayer. Love the people. Rebuke the devil. We get it all back, you know, backwards, you know. We love the devil and rebuke the people. No. Rebuke the devil. Love the people. If you can make a difference, make a difference. But when the church gets to the end and we say, we haven't a move left to make, I'm here to tell you, God still has a move to make. When Satan thought he had destroyed the love story that is God's creation of humanity by leading Adam and Eve astray, it seems like there was no move to make. Why? In the day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. But God had a move left to make. When unrighteousness filled the whole earth and God repented that he made man and judgment was coming in a flood, surely hell was happy that the love story that we are a part of through Jesus Christ had been destroyed. But God had a move left to make and he raised up Noah when the whole earth was filled with idolatry and there was no one who could simply stand on faith without symbolic representation and all the errors all the theological abominations that go with idolatry God found Abraham and Abraham believed the Lord and it was imputed unto him for righteousness when the children of Israel were taken in slavery and it seemed like there was no deliverance for them God raised up up Moses. Uh, God had a final move left to make when they're trapped against the Red Sea and on one side of them is Pharaoh's army and before them is a sea that they cannot cross. It seems like they don't have a move to make but if you want to know one thing about God, uh, he will find a move to make and a wind begins to blow and they cross upon dry land. Do you see? Do you see? Here is Samson. He has fallen as far as you can go and now he's been mocked, hung like a spectacle between the pillars in this house of Philistine celebration. And he bows his head and he says, God, I know I've messed everything up, but if you could use me now, I want you to know I'm willing if you're willing. And the Philistines think God hasn't a move left to make, but God still has a move to make. So let me preach to you for a little while. You think you're stuck. You might be stuck, but honey, God's not stuck. You think you're broken. You might be broken, but God's not broken. And when you've done your best and you have nowhere else to go and you have nothing else to say, it might be time for you to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Musicians come. I'm almost done. I want you to know God loves the moment when we haven't an answer to give. And so we become open and willing to receive God's answer in our life. 
why do you think that the missions field is so full of miracles? Why do you think that the greatest miracles that we hear about and the greatest testimonies that any of us are able to really in this modern day to, to the, the, the stories that come back from the missions field are astounding. They, they, have, they have miracles in many cases, the kind of miracles that were like you would think well you would read about that in the book of Acts. But they have. Thank you my brother. He almost got killed. And then we had to pray for him and him come back from the dead. And I want you to know Preston can't come back from the dead. God still has a move to make. Stand with me. How many of you have a situation where you honestly feel like you've done everything you can do? You got nothing yourself you can do. Raise your hand all across the house. This is a situation. I've done everything I can do. I really don't have a move to make. I need God to get involved. I'm here to tell you, miracles come from moments just like this. I'm afraid you didn't hear me what I just said. That feeling when you raise your hand and you say, I have a situation I have no answer for. Miracles come from that moment where you don't have an answer. That's a miracle moment. You see, if you can make it better, honey, get started. Find yourself some good spiritual advice. Get yourself a a plan, a path. Make a difference. God's empowered you to do it. But when the situation gets to the point where you can't, it's time for you to say, okay, miracle moment coming up. God, if it's going to happen, it's going to be all you. There's going to be no one competing for glory. No one down here is going to be saying, look what I did. I got nothing. I got nothing. Zilch. Zero. Nada. Less than zero. I've made the mess. This is a miracle moment. If your faith is strong, you can bring your miracle moment to God. And it doesn't matter because God hasn't move left and my favorite story to illustrate this is that story from the Old Testament where the the, the lamb has been slain and the only thing that's left is two ribs and a piece of an ear the Bible says that's pretty bad and symbolically that's how God finds us in the middle of our helplessness there's nothing left of us But God says, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Gather up the fragments. (laughs) Gather up the fragments so that nothing be lost. God's in the business of taking fragments and turning them into living evangelists. invite you right now to step out of the chair you're standing in. I'd like those of you who will to come forward. Let's come to this altar right now. Let's just fill this whole altar up. If you're a guest, if you're a friend here, feel free to come with us. I promise you, we will not embarrass you in any way. We will be perfectly good hosts. I just want you to feel free to come forward with us right now. We do believe in the power of prayer and we believe in the the, the intent of preaching to produce faith in our life. 
And so when we come forward after the preaching, it's because we want to activate the faith that is produced in our life through the Word of God. We're going to pray as a church here, and we're going to speak God's answer and God's anointing, and we're going to claim God's Holy Ghost intervention in our life. All across the house right now, would you lift your hearts, lift your hands, and would you present your need to God right now in faith? And would you tell Him, Lord Jesus, I know you're the one who's going to make a way. I know you're the one who's going to make a difference. I'd like you to speak to the mountain in your life. I'd like you to do that. The Bible doesn't tell the preacher to speak to the mountain. I mean, it does tell the preacher, but it's not as though it's a priest function. It's not as though it's a, you know, dignified minister function. You need to speak to the the mountain in your life. You, are you hearing me? You need to speak to the mountain in your life. And you need to say, I can't move this mountain, but I speak to you in Jesus' name. And he made you, and he made the sea, and he can put you in the sea. If we fell, if we fell in our faith at the limit of our ability, if you quit when you come to the limit of your ability, it's no wonder you're not seeing miracles in your life. At the end of our ability should be a praise session of God's ability. What do you find at the end of you? Hopefully you find God. At the end of you. Because I promise you, if you could, if you're in one of those situations where it's chronic, and if you could fix it, it would have already been fixed. You need an introduction to the way maker. You need to be reminded who the difference maker is. You've done what you can do. Now you go to God and say, Lord, here I am. If you're looking for an opportunity to show forth your might. You see, you know the Bible says God does a lot of things for his name's sake. In other words, he's not doing it because he feels sorry for you. He may or may not. I don't know. I'm not God. He's doing it because that's who he is. And so, so often I pray and I say, Lord, I'd like you to do this for your name's sake. You are a healer. You're a way maker. You're a difference maker. You're a grace giver. Show yourself to be who you are among your people. Yes. There's this old song we used to sing. Well, we still sing it. But uh, since nobody ever requests me to sing, I have to request myself to sing. All right. And you guys, most of you know it. I don't know what key it is. Just try G for Jesus. And uh, <laughs> He's an on time God. Yes, He is. Oh, on time God. Yes, He is. Yes, He is.
Pastor used to sing this song in the, back in the when we had choir when we only had one Sunday service. It's easy to have a choir when you have one Sunday service, and that's cool. But then we can't grow, and we want to make a difference in the city, so that's why we do it this way now. But Sister Vanessa, she she here? She was in the 9 a.m. Okay, um, I see. You back. Okay, I, okay, I won't mess with you. But she would do this one part. She'd say, "You could ask the saints of Charlotte." Kids were sweet. 
it was my household, but now they're teenagers. God, this is yours. Right? What a fine mess you've made for yourself down here, Lord Jesus. That, that's flesh. That's, that's the way it is. But here it is. Whenever you want to step in, God, I'd like you to t- put your hands on my hands. However, I'd like you to walk what I can't walk and talk when I can't talk and say what I can't say and do what I can't do. And when you come, just come big. Just come big. Just come big. I'll give you the glory. I'll give you the praise. Say it with me. I'll give you the glory. I'll give you the praise. I'll give you the honor. It won't be about me. It'll be about you. It'll be about your glory. It'll be about your power. And we bless you, oh God. God, praise God, praise God. All right, all right, I've been hollering at you enough. Love you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. If you've gone through the first steps process and you've never had lesson four, where we do the personality test and we connect you to ministries in the church, that's today right across the parking lot out there. You'll see the first steps room. Uh, God bless you all. We love you. If there's anybody here, you have a special need of prayer. Don't rush away. Some of our ministers will be down in this altar. We don't have to rush through the altar. If you need prayer, we will pray with you. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we will baptize you. If you haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit, we will pray with you before you leave that you would receive that gift in your life. God bless you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. And Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.